You're listening to the Happy Doc Student Podcast, a podcast dedicated to providing clarity to the often mysterious doctoral process. Do you feel like you're losing your mind? Let me and my guests show you how to put more joy in your journey and graduate with your sanity, health, and relationships intact. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Frederick, and today I welcome Adit Shiro. Adit is a licensed clinical psychologist with a private practice in Miami, Florida, where she specializes in trauma, post-traumatic stress, and post-traumatic growth. Recognized as an expert in the field of post-traumatic growth, she has focused her attention on immigration and acculturation issues, working directly with refugees and torture survivors. In addition to an impressive research agenda, she regularly speaks at psychological conferences and facilitates workshops that help people understand how to transform after trauma. She is also the author of the book, The Unexpected Gift of Trauma, The Path to Post-Traumatic Growth. Edith, welcome to today's show. Heather, so happy to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Well, I am excited for our conversation. Why don't we start by you spending a few minutes introducing yourself to the listeners and sharing with them how you got interested in post-traumatic growth? Absolutely. And, um, you know, part of uh, how I introduce myself is not just uh, from a professional perspective, but also how it's interweaved with my personal. Uh, I am a clinical psychologist and I've been in uh, seeing patients for the last, more than 25 years. And I'm also have been always interested in research and some clinical work that uh, responds to a very, very fundamental question that keeps coming up in my life, which is how is it possible that people that go through very difficult experiences, very challenging traumatic experiences, some of them can come out thriving, doing well, really transformed a loving life and being amazing uh, beyond belief. And some other people stay stuck in repetitive behavior, develop PTSD, uh, stay very depressed or traumatized. And how is it possible that very similar experiences or, or the same event can have such different responses? And that's been a question that has happened, that has come up for me not just as a psychologist, Heather, but also growing up in a family that comes from Holocaust survivors, from Syrian refugees, from uh, recent immigrants, and growing up in a community back in Venezuela of uh, recent immigrants, first-generation immigrants and refugees from different parts of the world. So from a very early age, I, I saw my grandparents struggling or dealing with very big, difficult issues from their past. Uh, so communities around me struggling and developing and trying to make something out of nothing. And then my me being an, a first uh, immigrant in the United States, also first generation, and also going through my own experiences and saying, huh, it's always, you know, there's always these three groups, seems to be these three groups of people, the people that are stay stuck in the, you know, in the trauma, in the post-traumatic stress disorder, or in like this really, you know, 
overwhelming experience that they can't come out of. There's a second group of people that are more resilient and they come back to themselves and they are able to face challenges and they bounce back. And there's a third group of people, which are my favorite, which is not only they bounce back, but they bounce forward. And they're like, wow, they thrive, they transform, they rearrange their lives, their lives become more meaningful with purpose. And that's what we call post-traumatic growth. And that term of post-traumatic growth has been my main interest in research and some clinical work for more than 25 years. And finally, I got this book uh, that's been inside of me for all these years called The Unexpected Gift of Trauma, The Path to Post-Traumatic Growth, in which I tell a lot of stories about how we come about to to develop post-traumatic growth. Most of the listeners probably know that my background is in psychology as well, and I have seen a shift in the field where we aren't talking as much about the negative, but starting to get really curious and asking, what about the positive? And what I love about what you just shared is this idea of three groups. As you were talking, I kind of saw a traumatic experience almost as a door or or a portal. And on the other side, you've got three choices, right? You've got the people who almost just go into a downward spiral and you feel compassion for them and you and you think, oh my gosh, that's terrible. And then you have the people who bounce back and are resilient. And back when I was in graduate school 20 years ago, we kind of stopped there. Resiliency was the goal. How do we facilitate resilience? What do we know about people who are resilient? But you're taking it a step further and the people interested in post-traumatic growth are going, hang on. There's a third path. There's this third way of being, which is not just bouncing back. And you can say, yeah, that happened to me, but I I survived. You're actually almost quantum leaping forward as to who you are and how you're contributing to society and how you're thriving in your individual life. And I'm curious, when you think about these three different groups, do you see clear differences in terms of either gender or culture or personality type? Or is it just not that simple? Right. And that's the big question, right? And in one of my the chapters in my book that I call floating factors, that's when I, you know, explore some of these issues. And I love that you're picking that up because it's like, hmm, is it that in more cultures that, you know, some these things happen more than others? Is it like for women more than men or more children than adults? And all these variables can be seen at, in, in like two different ways, you know. For some people, having uh, very early traumas, let's say, allow them to then develop tools that in, the, then in their adulthood they can deal better. But for other people, having early traumas in childhood makes such a mark that it then it determines the rest of our lives. For some cultures, the opening to talk about feelings and, you know, have support might facilitate growth. And in other cultures, like the, like even mentioning any kind of like uh, abuse or trauma or childhood experiences is not even uh, allowed, right? So that makes a difference too. But we know for sure that people that have more, uh, support, like emotional support, more secure attachments that have a good support system around that is not just family, but also friends, 
uh, the Harvard's longitudinal study that says how people are live longer and are happier because relation, developing relationships that are healthy relationships, not just with a family, but also with friends, long-lasting, healthy relationships. You know, these are all variables that do make a difference, but it's it's very hard to say that if all of this can be predictable and there's just one type of profile that allows for post-traumatic growth. There are certain things that facilitate it. Uh, having the capacity to do rumination, for example, if you're too much of a ruminator that you're like constantly stuck in like overthinking about your problem might not be so good. But if you spend a little bit of time of like thinking about your problem and really concentrating on that for a specific concrete amount of time, that might be very helpful. So Edith, that's so interesting. Um, I've never thought about that before in quite that way of allowing yourself a certain amount of time? Like, do you tell people set a timer, let yourself worry about that for five minutes. And then when the timer goes off, you're on to something different? Believe it or not. Yes. Believe it or not. Yes. I mean, this is part of a practice in which you, you are actually self-regulating your emotions in the way that you're understanding yourself, not just your body, and building your body or working on your muscles, but you're building your emotional muscles and your psychological and conscious muscles, right? So how you train yourself by doing meditation every every morning, for example, for some people, or eating healthy every every day. It's also how you are trained to focus on your problems. And you say, okay, I'm going to spend this amount of time from two to three to think about how I can resolve it. But then I disconnect from that and I don't stay stuck in it and do this obsessive compulsive you know repetition because that leads into negative thinking and negative behavior and negative emotion so yes of course that's there's a lot of exercises that we can go into and a lot of experiential things that we can do in order to move us towards post traumatic growth you know i asked about these variables that we kind of bring to the table already right our gender our age the culture we came from but this suggests that regardless of how you may be predisposed to one way or the other, that there's things we can intentionally do, that we can actively do to take a trauma, most people have experienced one, and use it to grow. Yes. And and I love how you say that it can be a portal. And, you know, people have gone through extreme trauma, like, for example, people like Viktor Frankl, who comes from the concentration camps, he says, it's like when you're when you're stripped from all your possibilities, when there's nothing else to do outside of yourself, the one thing that you still have a hold on to is to your attitude and, and your choice to see how you're going to face that, right? Of course, this is an extreme example, but it's what are the choices that we have given the circumstances? How do we live the experiences that we go through? How do we perceive? How do we interpret it? And Gabor Mate, who's a well-known psychiatrist who's like, uh, just came out with a new book, The Myth of Normal, says it's not really the trauma itself, it's what happens to you inside of when you're, when you're experiencing trauma. It's not just the event outside, it's what's happening inside of you. And not just that, I, I would add also, because in my book I explain this in detail, that trauma is relational, Heather. Meaning trauma is not an event in isolation. Trauma happens because when something happens to you that is difficult, let's say you're, you know, you're 
you're separated from your partner, you move to another country, you failed your classes, you are rejected by your friends. It's not the event itself that it's so traumatic. It's when you feel isolated or you feel rejected or you feel like you can't talk to anyone about it because either you don't have the language, you don't have a safe space to talk about it because nobody is interested or I can understand or can accompany you in this experience. And that's what is traumatic. It's the inability to really connect to others when something like that happens to you. And trauma tends to promote isolation, right? Because let's say somebody is sexually abused. They say, how am I going to even explain this to somebody else? I better not even talk about it. And even if I talk about it, they're not going to understand. So it creates layers of separation and, and distance from another human being. And that becomes more and more and more isolating and rigid. And then we develop all these survival and re trauma responses that make it even worse. So that's how things develop. When we, when we go through a loss, right, we lose a loved one. Some of that experience is so intimate and like personal that it's very hard to find another human being that you can trust enough to say, hey, let me tell you what's going on inside of me. And for the other person to really hold you in that moment and say, I'm here with you. I can understand what's happening. I, I'm, I'm empathizing completely, you know, which, which is what creates that sense of safety for you to then move forward. But when you're having a, an experience of loss and you can't talk about it with anyone, because nobody's going to understand or because you don't trust anybody to understand or because there's no one available that is reaching out, then what do you do, right? Then there's like, I mean, it, it, it's like, this is my own experience. I have no one to talk about to about it. And this is making me feel more separated. And we know that one of the basic human needs is to feel connected to others. So you brought up earlier this idea of social support I think this is a fascinating way to look at trauma beyond the event. It's not just the event. It's kind of the response to the event, all the things that are happening after the event. What advice do you give to people, whether it's wanting to talk to someone about grad school or someone going through a divorce or getting a diagnosis of a terminal illness? What do you recommend in terms of finding that support? You know, one of the things that I, that I always talk about is that recognition of your own experiences and your own emotions. In fact, I offer in the book this five stage framework, a pathway to go from a traumatic experience all the way to post traumatic growth. And the first step is radical acceptance. So when you find yourself in a place when you're confused or you're overwhelmed or you have a lot of very intense emotions and you don't know what to do with that, taking an intentional pause and connecting with yourself and allowing yourself to sit with that shadow, to sit with that monster in front of you, to allow yourself to face that and say, okay, I radically accept that I am traumatized or that I feel overwhelmed or that I'm anxious beyond belief or that I am clueless. I surrender. It's like a moment of surrendering to say, there's nothing I can do. I accept that I am an addict, let's say, or that I accept that I, yes, that I am super depressed because I lost my, you know, my, my loved one. 
that moment of radical acceptance, it's what opens the possibility to then move forward. Because before that, naturally, as human beings, we develop trauma responses for survival, which are what? As we all know, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. There's a form. And then what does that mean? We're like constantly machinating way, like thinking of ways of how are we going to avoid the pain? How are we going to run away from the pain? How are we going to become fight and become irritable or angry or dismissive, right? Or how we freeze completely and can't even make decisions, right? We're in the middle of the pandemic, which is a collective trauma experiences for a lot of us. And it's like, okay, I have no, I don't know what to do. I'm frozen. I can't make decisions. I don't know what's right, what's wrong. Everything shattered in my life. I can't tell what's what's good, what's bad. My belief system doesn't apply anymore. And then we develop all these trauma responses. When we're in that, it's very hard to move forward. So the first step of radical acceptance, of complete awareness of what, what's happening with us or putting a name and identifying those emotions, it's crucial which leads us to the second stage, which is safety and protection, which is how do we reach out to other person and say, hey, I need help. Or, hey, can you please listen to me? Or, hey, I'm trusting you enough to tell you what's, what's happening. I don't know how to apply for graduate school. I'm completely overwhelmed. I'm, I'm tired of showing that I know everything or that I'm this great thing or like people are going to think that I'm not good enough. Let me tell you really what's going on inside of me. So that's why I say that this is relational, that it's not, we're not in isolation. Everything that is happening to us is in relation to ourselves and to others, right? And to the world. And then we get into the third stage when we finally reach out and get some help and everything. We say, oh, there's a new narrative. It's called like, oh, how do we understand this from a completely different perspective? Let me open up to new ways of thinking. Let me grab these new suggestions or ideas. This is when people start listening to podcasts and to reading new books or to trying new belief systems. Like they get into Buddhism, into meditation, into, I don't know, hiking the Everest and finding their guru. You know, people going to this search and saying, okay, there must be other ways of living life. And then you go into the fourth stage of integration and then you integrate everything that you've gone through. And the fifth stage is a stage of wisdom and growth in which you really understand your priorities different. It's like, okay, I might not get exactly into the graduate school that I want to, but I get into this other one because it has other benefits. Or you know what? On my journey to applying to graduate school, I made three amazing friends that are very meaningful or you know, there's something about the having a meaningful life, having meaningful relationships, having a sense of purpose in your life. Some some people go through this and they truly find out a sense of purpose. They truly understand their mission. They have a stronger sense of self. A lot of them become more spiritual, not, not necessarily religious, but spiritual. That spirituality that we are, we are connected with everything else, that there's a higher being or that we are part of a, a larger universe, you know, something like that. People develop that, which becomes then a protective factor for future traumas and future challenges. So something like that. That's my long answer to your question. 
<laughs> I, I love that answer. And I love that you brought us through the five steps because of course I was going to ask you to do that because it really sets forth a framework where someone who, you know, maybe you're listening to this and you're in the middle of a trauma and you're spinning around and you don't see a way out or you know someone who is or because you're a human, there's one coming around the corner that you don't even know yet to have a model that you could look at and say, okay, here's the stages. It's almost like a guidebook. I love it when there's steps that have clear goals and clear actions that you're doing. So that second step, when you're finding safety and protection and connecting with other people, you know, whether someone reads your book and says, hey, I just read this book. And I'm at step two and I'm wondering exactly about this or share this podcast and say, hey, uh, I think I'm at step two. Would you be willing to be that person that I can talk right. to? Right. It could open up those conversations. I love that. I mean, I really uh, that would be a dream come true that people can use this because that one of the purposes of the book is to provide language to something that is already happening. I didn't invent these stages. This is more a description of what I've seen over the last 25 years and of what I see people over and over and over. And it's a description so we can have common language to say, hey, I think I'm in between stage two and three. And remember, these are not linear process. You know, we can go back and forth and up and down. And, you know, we have, for example, people that get to post-traumatic growth and then something else happens to them and they go back to the first, first stage or in some areas of your life, you're in the first stage and the other one's in the fifth one. So it depends. Yeah, yeah. So it's a dynamic and it's a malleable model. Um, as you were talking, I, I was thinking, you know, people often describe grief that way, right? It looks different for different people right. and you might have two steps forwards, one step back. But all that said, I do love that there is a, a language because if you can speak the same language, suddenly you can open up dialogue, right? Exactly. Versus not knowing how to explain to someone what you're going through or how you're feeling, or again, maybe things are going great for you, but chances are, you know, someone in your inner circle who's struggling. And so it would give you the language to reach out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this has to do with people that are caretakers or that are accompanying somebody else that is going through a difficult time and knowing what to expect. I think it's very important. One of the things that I think the concept of post-traumatic growth gives us is the hope that trauma is not like a life sentence. It's like, oh, you're traumatized. Oh, you're, you know, we went through pandemic. That means that, you know, we're all doomed or we're all going to develop PTSD and that's it. Or, well, you know, I lost my parents and that means that that's it. There's no more, nothing beyond that. Or I went through a, a you know, an earthquake or, a, you know, something difficult and then that's it. The opposite. What, what I'm trying to say with post-traumatic growth is that even though, there is difficulty, even though there's hard experiences, knowing that there's a possibility of growth, of transformation. It's such a hope. It's such a light at the end of the tunnel. And when you know that, you can offer that better. Meaning like if you're a caretaker, if you're a, a mental health professional, if you're a teacher, you say, yes, I know right now you don't see it. I know right now it's very hard to even imagine that there's something else besides what you're going through. But there is a gift. 
that that can come out and I'm you know going through the stages is going to take you there so I, I think it's a it's a beautiful thing to give people considering that a trauma could be a gift could be a radical thought for some people right I like know. how could you even say what happened mm. to me or the experience I went through is a gift but time and time again we see people like Viktor Frankl come out of a trauma with contributions to society that truly would be difficult to have created had they not been through that trauma. So in that sense, the trauma could be a means to an ends of maybe finding your life purpose. Yes. I, I mean, I love the controversy that people tell me, well, how can you put in the same sentence the word trauma and the word gift? And that's precisely the awareness that I want people to have because I'm not saying... Uh, my patients or the people that I work with have said, oh, yes, I want to be traumatized. Oh, yes, I want to have bad experiences. No. But what they tell me is like, I'm grateful for what happened to me because of the experiences that I had. I am the person who I am now. And I would not give that up for nothing. You know, so, yes, I mean, it is a it is a difficult thing to say and maybe to see. So that's why we have to be careful. When do we say that to the person at what stage? Because if you say that to a person that it's, hasn't even begun the process, they're not going to be open to something like that. And they're right. You know, it can be insulting to say, oh, no, don't worry. All this suffering is going to take you to this wonderful place. Oh, shut up. Like, don't say that. <laughs> but at some point, the person really sees that. And, and the person that goes through it or the group of people or the culture, because this applies to collective trauma as well. Then, you know, they say, oh, now we understand where this takes us and how we grew from it and how we change and transform from it. So I hear have compassion for where you or somewhere else is in the process. So you're not, hey, put on a happy face and, right. know, but at the same time, you know, maybe suggesting, hey, have you heard of this concept called post-traumatic growth when you're ready to talk about it? Or if that sounds interesting to you, maybe we can we can have a chat or or something along those lines. I see PTSD thrown around all the time. You can't live a day, right? If you're on the <laughs> internet or social media. And what I would love to see is just as much as we see PTSD, we see post-traumatic growth. And have people start talking about, yes, terrible things can happen and you need to process them and let's do what we can to prevent terrible things from happening when we can. But at the same time, when they do happen, hey, here's a different set of glasses you can put on to gain a new perspective that may just allow this thing that happened, whether you go through it individually or collectively, to result in something that you could have never imagined. Absolutely. I mean, that's a wonderful thing to say. And I think it's an important idea to throw in there because a lot of people, like you say, know about PTSD and everything is about post-traumatic stress disorder. And I'm not saying ever that that doesn't exist. The opposite. I mean, that's what I work with. But knowing that there's post-traumatic growth, it's, it can enrich our experiences. This is not an easy process, though. This is not a button that you press and then all of a sudden you have post-traumatic growth. This is a hard process. This takes time. This takes courage to 
dive into it. It's like uh, getting to almost the, the, the bottom of your dark places and then coming out of it with a lot of lessons and like a phoenix rising in some way, you know? So I understand that maybe some people are not ready to go through this process because it's painful or, or people are not ready or people are not willing, which is fine also. That's why I say sometimes, you know, if you have resiliency and you have tools to face the issues and you have tools and you've developed ways to, to handle challenging situations, you that's wonderful and great, but it takes in some way to go all the way to the bottom, to the rock bottom of who you are, to shatter all these belief systems in order to then grow and become something different. It's like the butterfly, you know, that goes, that first is in this cocoon. Everything inside is destroyed pretty much. Like there are all these juices that are destroying the fabric of this, of this caterpillar. And then from that destruction is where that butterfly can develop and, and grow and come out stronger and more beautiful. I love that image. I love that image. And I either heard you say it on a YouTube or read it on your website, something like you can turn pain into purpose. It's about rewriting your story. And as you yes. were talking, I was thinking, okay, so let's acknowledge, you know, maybe chapter one of this story is PTSD, but when you're done writing chapter one, when you process that, when you do whatever you need to do, what about chapter two? What about post-traumatic growth? How can right. we not stop there? Let's keep going. <laughs> right, right. Yes. I usually say that how you can turn pain into purpose how you can turn your breakdowns into your breakthroughs and how you can make that medicine, like how you can see like the wound become the medicine. Because, you know, what I found also is that usually people that learn how to take care of themselves and how to overcome those difficulties or those wounds, they know it so well that then they want to teach it to other people. That's when we see usually, you know, let's say alcoholics or people with alcoholism, then they become the mentors for other, others with addiction. The sexually abused women, you know, they open centers for sexually abused women to support them. And on and on and on. This is how, you know, we say, okay, I, I did it. I understood it. I overcome it. Let me give it back to the community. Let me help others because I know where they're coming from and that I, I already have some of that wisdom that I can share. Which is such a beautiful way to wrap up this episode, Edith. I just this thought of going through something, learning from it, growing from it, finding your purpose, and then sharing that to really help others transform their lives. Before we wrap up though, do you have a favorite quote or final words of wisdom you'd like to share with the audience? I actually do. There's a beautiful quote that comes from a song from Leonard Cohen. I don't remember the name of the song, but the quote goes like this. And a lot of people know this, so maybe you can remember. It says, ring the bells that will not ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything, and that's where the light gets in. And it's such a beautiful image for me because it represents all those cracks that you can see them as cracks and something very, very bad, that it's broken, or you can see it as the opportunity to open up for the light for more light to come in. 
for more wisdom, for more consciousness, for more understanding. And my wish is that we can do this not only individually, but collectively, that we can connect, keep that connection and honor that connection with each other and remember that we're all interconnected in that way. So, yeah, that's my message. <laughs> I love that. And Edith, I will have in the show notes not only the link to your book, but also other ways that people could connect with you, your YouTubes, your website, social media. Thank you so much. Thank you, Heather, for this space and for the for the wonderful interview. And I hope that you continue creating these spaces for people to, to learn and to understand more. So I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. And I look forward to connecting with you on the next episode. Until then, if you're looking for more ways to invite joy in your journey, check out the free resources at expandyourhappy.com. You'll find downloads like an article I wrote titled The Doctoral Journey, 12 Things You Need to Know That They Probably Won't Tell You. You'll also find a PDF that organizes all podcasts by the seven steps detailed in the Happy Doc Student Handbook, which you can also find on the website. Finally, if you're looking for a Happy Doc student swag, I've got that too. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and YouTube channel. And if you want to make my day, rate and review so that together we can change the way doctoral education is delivered and experienced. Hey, one more thing. Just a quick reminder that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. 